Folks, we want to look at today, we want to look at um, the city of Sardis. So open up your Bibles. Um, we've been going through a, a look at uh, the cities that uh, Jesus wrote to with regards to the end of times. And uh, each of these cities gets this letter. And we have three messengers that are left, three men that are carrying this um, Message: Three representatives, probably known very well by each individual church. And they traveled together in the beginning, and they began to leave these messages off to, in each of these towns. They're the leaders of the cities, but they're never named. I, I look at that as uh, it's part of being humble. You don't want to see them named, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, they bring together a letter of encouragement and also a letter, and a, and a very strong letter of warning. Those who are unbelievers, those who are playing church, those who really haven't come fully to Jesus Christ, there's a warning here and they need to hear it. <coughs> However, today we want to start with a little bit of the geography and the layout of Sardis. Because it relates to the message. It's, it's interesting how the Lord does that, but he relates, relates even the, the topography, uh, the, geo, uh, the geography of this city uh, to a degree uh, that brought about this town. Our Lord does not miss any, any, any opportunity to speak into the hearts of his people. And he even uses this specific city to speak into the hearts, not only of those people, but churches to come. That will be similar to this, and maybe even churches that are going in that direction. We, we'll get to that in a little bit. Sardis was approximately 40 miles south of Thyatira, 50 miles east of Smyrna. We've already looked at those two cities. Sardis is also perched on an elevated plateau, approximately 1,500 feet above the valley below. Okay, so you've got a, a pretty good height there. You have to remember each city... Revelation has a, a similar outline. That's the way I've done it. I, other preachers may do it a different way, but I've had them have a similar outline. And here again, we, we have that same situation, but I'm only going to use five elements of the seven that I've used in the past. Five characteristics, five elements, and we see that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to read it for us. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die before I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it. And repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know at what hour I will come. You will not know at what hour I will come. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will. Thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase their name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Five characteristics. First of all, he's going to give the address. Who is it written to? It's written to the people in Sardis. Just as it was in the previous cities, they're, they're all named there. Sardis, again, is that elevated uh, plain that was up uh, high down from the, the valley below. Um, it's important. It's important because people who are in that city figured that since they're 1,500 feet above the valley, they're untouchable. They're impregnable because there's only one little pathway up to that 1,500-foot um, plateau. And so they just think that, hey, we got no, nothing to worry about. The sheer walls of the plateau made it nearly impossible to climb and therefore only one way into that city. That one way was a narrow entrance at the top. And that narrow entrance could be easily guarded. What an incredible defense. And in those days, in the ancient days, it's great to have those kinds of things because uh, one city would attack another city all the time. It was going on all the time. Today we only do that in the news. But they used to do it very regularly. It was a great defense. All of this was good. It was good for their protection. It did limit its growth because only that portion up on the top of that plateau could be used for growing. However, these folks, because it was so prosperous, they began to build a city that was below. A sister city, as we'll call it became a little bit more complex when you got to ship things from up 1,500 feet. I don't know many of us want to run up 1,500 feet all the time. But as with all things that you think are sure, the city was not as impregnable as they thought. Cyrus attacked the city in the 6th century. And Cyrus uh, attacks the city. And leaders in Sardis don't believe, you know, hey, who cares? It's okay. They don't take any precautions. They don't do anything extraordinary to protect themselves. They left those sheer walls unguarded. They were uh, on one side of the uh, city, and they left them unguarded. And the middle of the night, there were soldiers that Cyrus sent. They scaled the smooth rock and got up to the top. There's nobody there. Nobody there to stop them. So they just walk into the city, walk over to the gate, and open up the gate. The invaders took over the city, and the inhabitants of Sardis were asleep. They thought that they had it all together. They thought that there was no danger at their door. They didn't take any precautions whatsoever. These folks were attacked and overrun easily by Cyrus. This happened one other time in history, in about 200 B.C. So you have 600 B.C., you've got another one, 200 B.C., showing us that some people actually read history books because they did the same thing. They went up the side of the mountain. But some people don't read history books because they are asleep sitting in the city. Once again, they're overrun. They should have been awake. Folks, it has implications for us as well in our Christian life. 
we should be awake. Not letting things take over. Not letting things overrun us. They should have been ready, but they weren't. They should have learned from history. We should learn from history. The, the mistake that we made, oh no, it's not a mistake. The sin that we made should not be covered and forgotten that we went down that trail again. Friends, the actual founding of the New Testament church here is not mentioned in the scriptures. It probably happened during the time period that Paul was in Ephesus because Ephesus is not so far away. They probably sent out missionaries and and the church was founded there. That gives you the address. The second characteristic of this letter is the attribute. What does Jesus say to the representative of the church here at Sardis and to all those in Sardis? He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. What is this what is this saying here? Well, first of all, let's go back to Revelation 1.4. And towards the end of that verse 1.4, it says this, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who was to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. It also has that same indication in verse 20. It says this, As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Well, why all of this seven stuff? Well, first of all, seven is a, a number of completion, and that's what is being said here. It was saying that the Holy Spirit is completely in charge of what's going on. The Holy Spirit is being used here. He's alluding to the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the, the Holy Spirit just doesn't get you saved but brings you to glory. It's not just about getting your feet in the kingdom. It's like one fellow who uh, had his leg amputated. He says, well, I've got a leg in heaven. No, there is no such thing that you've got a leg in heaven, okay? No such thing. You are either in or you're not. So when Jesus says this, he's alluding to the completeness of that work, the complete effective work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Zechariah, they take this prophecy in Zechariah 4. We're not going to look at that, but that's the picture that we get of the Holy Spirit there. This is a reference to the perfection of the Holy Spirit. People say, but Bill, are you then saying that we have to be perfect in our Christian life? Folks, if you know Jesus Christ, you are perfect in your Christian life because your sins are already forgiven. However, you still have a duty and responsibility to live out that promise. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is in you to work and to will his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. That's what you should be doing. So it's a reference to the perfection of the Holy Spirit. It's an indication of the omniscience of the Spirit. Look with me at Revelation 4, 5. And we haven't gone there yet. But Revelation 4, 5. And it says this. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, giving us the idea the Holy Spirit is involved here. Um, Years ago, I once had a person come up to me who had been on my class in Faith Builders for a while and said, when do you guys ever talk about the Holy Spirit? And I said, when it's in the passage, we do. Because he was wanting, because he had just come out of a charismatic church, 
And he was thinking, you guys just don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, when it's in the passage, we will talk about the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening here. This is the fulfilling work of the Spirit. The fulfilling work of the Spirit becomes evident. Becomes evident. Note what I'm saying there, folks. When you get saved, it becomes evident. I so often have folks come in to see me who tell me about their debauched life, and, but they were saved when they were four years old. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you may know about Jesus, just like you may know about Joe Biden or anybody else, but you don't know him. You don't really know him. That debauched life is not to be part of who you are. That's what you've given up. You picked up your cross daily and you go follow him. That's what should be happening. And, 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 you know, I try to do that as gently as possible. I don't hit anybody over the head with a baseball bat or anything like that. My wife took it away from me. So I, I just want them to hear that because it's so very, very vital and important. If you come to Christ, things change. You're going in one direction, you go in the other direction. Whatever that was. Somebody asked us for a testimony yesterday at the wedding I did. There was a complete change. You don't do the same things. You don't act the same way. You don't think the same thoughts. Although you're still dealing with some of those things, you're putting them off. Jesus is reflecting on the work of the Holy Spirit that goes on in the midst of the church regularly. That's what happens. That's what happens here. The Spirit is there to convict The Spirit is there to change hearts. The Spirit is there to teach us all things. I can go John 14, 26, 15, 26. He was left for that purpose, to teach us all things. This attribute of the seven spirits of God and the seven stars are seemingly unrelated to the issues of Sardis, but I'm going to get there eventually. I believe it's been perfectly chosen by Jesus because the Spirit knows all things. The people in Sardis didn't know all things. Here we have a church that thinks it's pretty good. Sardis thought they were a pretty good church. They had accomplished much in the past. Just a short history and and they had all of this stuff going on. and, And guess what they were doing? Living on their reputation because they had a good reputation There are some folks that go to churches that have a good reputation and think they can live on that reputation. The Spirit of God is at work, hopefully bringing conviction, showing the need for new life. That's a second characteristic. Here's the third characteristic. The third characteristic of the writing is the approbation. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but... You are dead. You are dead. I know. Tells us God has complete knowledge of people. He has knowledge of your past, present, and your future. He's sovereign. He knows all things. God knows them. And as a matter of fact, you want to know the truth, God knows them better than they know themselves. God knows them better than they know themselves. These folks in Sardis are not under persecution. There's no sign of any persecution going on in Sardis. Like some of the other cities that we have looked at, 
These folks are not challenged, okay, with heresy like some of the other churches are challenged with. They're doing pretty good. Everything looks good. You know what they're challenged with? Themselves. Themselves. They have this smug attitude. I'm okay. I'm okay. Now please hear this the right way and you may not repeat this to anybody else. I go to Grace Community Church. I sit under the finest teaching of Scripture. I'm okay. I'm okay. Folks, that doesn't mean a thing. That doesn't mean a thing. There have been people here before who have sat under this teaching and they've gone out from here and they go to hell. Some people for a long time. Doesn't mean a thing. They are trying to live by their name, their reputation. Much like the city that they're in, the history of the city. We are the impenetrable city of Sardis. That cannot be conquered. Folks, the moment you start thinking that about yourself, that is exactly, exactly when you're going to have a problem. They think they're in a good city. They say we have great deeds from our past. And and you know what? They're sitting back on their lounge chair and they're taking it easy. They're living on that reputation. Can I tell you something, folks? That can easily happen in the finest of churches. And I do believe this is a very blessed, God-blessed church. But that could happen here as well. It doesn't matter that there's a seminary across the way. If you look at history, seminaries don't last as long as this one has lasted. I mean, for a good seminary, because that's why Kevin Stewart is there. So, we have these things. They live on their deeds. But it could happen here. Do you know what, folks? And, and this is me thinking here, so watch out, you're in trouble. As a matter of fact, I believe, and I wonder, this whole COVID fiasco that we've just gone through, whole COVID fiasco was a means of God just shaking up the church. This church. This church brought in a whole bunch of new people. A whole bunch of new people ask questions that, wow, these, that's a good question. I, that, 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 wow, I, I would have thought you would have had that down already, but you know what? They came from a church where they weren't getting taught. So they came here. I believe it was to freshen up this church. The people of Sardis have become spiritually apathetic. Because of this apathy, they had become vulnerable to all kinds of issues. The desire to live the quiet life. And some people say, when are you going to retire? I don't know what that word means. When our daughters were young, my, grand, my uh, wife's mother had retired, and one of them said, oh, why did she become retarded? <laughs> and, and, and she just obviously got that wrong. <laughs> but why would you want to become retired? <laughs> the desire to live the quiet life. 
the desire to live luxury, the desire to live fulfillment, the spiritual apathy, okay, that was going on here was up in their brain. They thought they were pretty good. They had the reputation of being strong, impossible to conquer. Hey, we don't have nothing to worry about. Folks, do you ever feel that way? Impossible to conquer? You've got all the verses memorized and you've got your walk with the Lord in order. But you see, folks, you only start thinking like that when you're asleep. The only issue here is that they were not looking at themselves circumspectly before God. God, as David says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there is any wicked way in me. That was after he, Psalm 139 is all about God's omniscience, omnipotence, and all of those kinds of things, and that's what he says at the end. He recognized the need for that, the general need for that. See, friends, this is the same thing with sin. You know, the sin that gets in your soul and it begins to rot. The sin that maybe you even hate, but you allow. The sin that plagues your heart and maybe even your conscience and you wonder, am I really saved? Once again, it has slipped into your heart it's a daily battle, folks, and I know the battle. Folks, let's say there is a Christianity Today magazine article, okay? This church would be on the cover of how great they are. It was beautiful. It was protected. There was no heresy there. They had a reputation of saintly people there. They were a picture of a prosperous church a prosperous ministry, all kinds of activity. Maybe they even do a few uh, uh, features on some of the people that are in the church. But what does Jesus say? But you are dead. That's scary. But you are dead. They were dead and they did not even know it. Their Christianity served self, didn't serve others. Their Christianity was comfortable. Well, if I can do it, I'll I'll make that sacrifice if I can do it. Well, I don't know if I have enough time to do that. It's not sacrificial. It's not sacrificial. Beloved, this is a serious and a graver message than we may like. But that's what it is. Because you have to hear, but you are dead. It is serious. They think they're alive. This is not being physically dead, folks. Just please understand that. It's being spiritually dead. They are not dead in their body. They're only dead in their soul. As a church, the divine life was sucked out of them. And, and I asked myself, you know, and I did wrestle with this, what is it that made this church lose its fervency for the Savior? I'm, I wasn't there. I know you may think I was, but I wasn't there. 
it was a church that was aging. Church that was aging, and, and they were not seeing new converts come in. Because you know what? When you see that new convert, what do they do? I mean, they excite my heart when I hear them. They get so excited about things, what God is doing in their life. I love it. They were not paying attention to their walk with the Lord. A few years ago in Faith Builders, uh, we studied through a book uh, in the men's and the women's ministry called Watchfulness. Brian Hedges did a fabulous job because it's about being watchful. Watchful of what's coming up. Watchful of what could attack us. Watchful for what could be a problem for us. Taking care of one's spiritual life. Making a plan. Now, since there is no approbation, let's move on to the fourth characteristic, is the appeal. This is verse 2. We will get through the message today. I'm almost positive. Verse 2. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain. This should be understood as become awake, become watchful. This is, and, and it's not just awake and, you know, I woke up this morning, I wasn't quite awake. I mean, I, I found my slippers, but I wasn't quite awake. It takes a little bit of time. No, it's become awake right away. Become awake, be watchful. Do not rest on your reputation. Do not rest that you are a member of Grace Community Church. Remember the story at the beginning there, the introduction? This is when the army of Sardis was unawares that the enemy was crawling up the wall, a sheer wall. I understand it's a very flat wall, but they were crawling up that wall. And they were able to overtake the city. They thought they were covered. They scaled those walls, opened up the gate, the city was conquered. One commentator said this, he says, the unbelievable carelessness and complacency that had failed to put a man on guard over the seemingly unscalable cliffs had resulted in in the past in the fall of the city. The spiritual complacency and lethargy of the Sardis church would carry a like penalty in spiritual terms. Folks, just because you had your devotion six weeks ago doesn't mean that it covers today. But some people believe, okay, I've done that. Can I remind you of a scripture no temptation has overtaken you, but the one before that, that's 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says this in 1 Corinthians 10.12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Paul is even there warning us. Stay awake. Stay awake. But there are some not dead but they're on their last breath. And he's saying, awake. I don't know if he's going to do CPR or whatever, but he's wanting to be awake. It's like a patient that the doctors frantically are trying to keep alive. Uh, uh, Just a little bit more, tiny bit more. We want to keep this person alive. That's basically the kind of 
picture I got. Now, while Sardis was mostly dead, there is the possibility of life. Can you imagine the people in the community that you're in that city? They think you're alive. Got a nice church building. Look at you. People are successful there. They've made a lot of money. They do all of these kinds of things. But God knows better. But God knows better. You know, you sometimes hear the story of someone in what looks like the state of death. They look like they're gone. But someone gives them a little bit more air, a little bit more revival, and before you know it, they are alive. But the, the, the state of the church of Sardis is that they're still there. The warning, folks, is in the continuous present means that the church is to be vigilant. Folks, if, I, if you anything today, vigilance is necessary for each of us as individuals. Make sure that your relationship with God is not just a Sunday event. Make sure your relationship with God is an everyday event, a 24-7 event. That's what this is talking about. Strengthen what is left here. Withstand the false teachers that may come in teaching all of that kind of thing. There are a few people, though, that are left. So before the church completely perishes, this is what Jesus says to them. This is the appeal here that's continued. It says this in verse 3, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know, not know at what hour I will come to you. You know, the thieves don't never give you a plan of when they're going to come and steal from you, you know? And, and we've had our house uh, uh, robbed a few times. And they, don't, they didn't give us a note that they were going to come that day. They just come and do it, you know? Generally, when you're not there. Friends, this is just like Ephesus, Pergamum, and Laodicea, which we haven't looked at yet. The congregation is called upon to repent. Repent, turn. Repent of your apathy. Repent of your smugness. Repent of your indolence. Repent of your thinking you know everything. Repent because you think you do everything perfectly. Repent because of your recklessness. That's what he's telling him to do. Repent of those kinds of things. These believers that still possess some life, are to remember. But what are they to remember? Look what it says here. What are they to remember? And I'm going to extrapolate from what I think is being said here. They need to remember their past salvation experience. What God did there. You can't live on that, but remember it. Their past spiritual vim and vigor. They need to remember that. They, They need to remember their past rebirth into Christ. Because that is what they need to hold on to. In Hebrews 3.14, let's uh, turn there. We have a little bit of time. 3.14. This is what the the writer of Hebrews, uh, and by the way, it wasn't Paul, uh, but Hebrews 3.14 says this. For we have become partakers of Christ if we 
Ah, that big if. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance until the end. You see, there's faithfulness there that he's speaking of. He's speaking of perseverance there. You don't give in to anything. You keep moving forward. Once you become a partaker of Jesus Christ, again, you put your old self away and you put on the new self. You you begin to put off the old man and begin to put on the new man. You see, they received the gospel in the past. They were invigorated by it. What's happened? What's happened recently? Complacency. No excitement. No excitement for the things of God. You know, I was here Tuesday night, and I got to tell you, I was invigorated just by being here Tuesday night. Seeing all these kids running around. Seeing this church alive, completely alive. They've got people over there. This place was packed. It was Tuesday night. What's Tuesday night? Nothing. But is it always going to be that way? Is it always going to be that way? Jesus tells them that they have received and heard the word. Now they are to keep it and repent. There's a, a very dire warning here, folks. Because if you don't, guess what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come like a thief. In other words, Jesus is going to come and he's not going to announce, I'm coming. No, he's going to be there. He's going to be like the robber. He's going to come in the middle of the night, quietly, silently, stealing I will come like a thief. You see, the consequence for not repenting is severe, folks. Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. We know it. And I know I have said by the end of the time I'm finished with the introduction to the seven churches, he's going to come. Well, I want you all to be thinking that it can come at any moment. Metaxas, I just heard that he just said it's coming real soon, but that's Metaxas. Now, please understand, when Jesus is saying this in this verse, he's not speaking of an eschatological return, folks. He's speaking of a judgmental return. This is spanking time, that he's going to come and spank these people. It's not that he's going to come and, you know, it's going to be the end. No, this is not for judgment. Uh, This is for judgment. Jesus says, keep it. Whatever you know of this wonderful, joyous, glorious relationship with the Savior, keep it. Cherish it. Love it. Every single thing about it, you need to love. Because that's what it is. It's a gift that was given to you by the Savior. The emphasis here is on working at that relationship, not ignoring it. You know, when you love somebody, that's what you're going to do is work at that that relationship. Here it says, keep the truth before your mind. It's not only to keep it before your mind, but to keep it and obey it. In other words, remain faithful to it. Now, I do want to take you to one eschatological passage where Christ is going to return because I do want you to know he is. Matthew chapter 24. 
Matthew chapter 24. I, I knew there'd be somebody who'd want to hear this. And for those who may not even know about this, it's good for you to hear it. Matthew chapter 24, in verse 42, again, listen to the language there. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day or your Lord is coming. This announcement is being made to all people. Christian, non-Christian, they can hear it, they can see it. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have, been allow- have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. I, you know, folks, I, I pray that he comes before even we take communion. We all go at the same time. Wouldn't that be great to leave here together? What a beautiful thing. By the way, it is communion today. I hope you're prepared for it in your heart. There are other passages, but that's an eschatological passage. It's not a warning passage about judgment. This is a warning passage about this is what he's going to do. Get ready. See, the focus here is on the suddenness of the Lord's return, not on the eschatological implications. So the fifth element is the affirmation. But I know some of you are going to say, but Bill, you said that there was nothing good said about this church. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. You are right, but look at what it says here. It is now directed to a few individuals within that church. That's where the emphasis is. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. That's incredible. That should be called worthy. My mind. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beloved, even in this wretched church, and I'm going to call it a wretched church that's lost its way, there are a few people there that have not soiled their garments. They will be rewarded with Christ in white garments. Why are there a few? Because they are vigilant. Vigilant in their walk with Jesus Christ. There's a plan that they put together in their walk with Jesus Christ. The moment you think that you've got it all together, folks, watch out. Watch out. He's going to throw you a curveball. He's going to do something else that's going to bring to your attention that you need him more than you can do it only on on your own. No one in this chosen condition did this on their own. You see, folks, you were chosen by him. He pulled you out of the... Uh, uh, ash heap, if I can put it that way. But they are worthy. They withstood the pressure of apostasy. They continued in faithfulness in this small town. And they did it to the glory of God. I, I, 
when I, when I saw this word here, worthy, I said, Can you, I, I cannot even imagine that he's going to call me or some of you worthy. I mean, some of you, I can't even believe they're worthy. No. <laughs> but that's what he's going to do. You, the sinner, are being called worthy by Jesus Christ. And that, I, I, that to me, is incredible. It's startling if you want to know that that's so incredible. It's grace abounding, folks. Even in the midst of this weak church, there remains some faithful people there that have remained unpolluted, even in this church that's stuck up. But there are three promises here. Let's look at those quickly. We have number one is to clothe in white garments. Isn't that great? It's a reflection of spiritual status. There's no um, dirt there. You're justified, you're sanctified. That's what it's talking about. You're saved individuals. That's what it's talking about there. Then the next one is, will not erase his name from the book of life. Folks, there is so much controversy over what does that mean. Folks, in the old days, before me, they used to have names every time you were born, you got into this book, and it was called the book of life that was in the city. This is not the same book. It's a different book. This is the, God's book, okay? You're either in it or you're not. You're not going to be taken out of it. These are eternal life words that you have. John, The Gospel of John tells us about that. He saves who he wants. He's not going to lose anyone. So if you're truly saved, he's not going to let you go. You're going to be his. So keep that in mind. You're not going to have yourself written out of the book of life or erased from the book of life. Nothing of that's going to happen. And we have the next, the third promise. The overcomer is promised to have his name acknowledged before the Father. Whatever. Can you imagine? He's, we're going to be acknowledged before the Father. I, I, I cannot understand that. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, and notice what it says there. Okay, by the way, this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. It says there, Matthew 10, 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. Basically, what that's encouraging you to do is to speak about him to others. That's what you need to do, is speak to him. And you do that kindly, you do that robustly, and at times you do that confidently, because he's the Savior. He's the Savior. That's where faithfulness is seen. Living out a holy life, living out a faithful life. I want to take a little bit more time with this last part. He who has an ear, let him hear. But we've done this each time, Bill. Why are we going to look at it this time? Well, I want to tell you about a book that I read years ago. Um, it was a book, you know what, I don't even remember the author's name, but Far From Rome, Near to God. My son-in-law gave it to me, and uh, he thought it would be interesting for me to read it. And uh, he uh, is a good reader, and, and uh, he generally has some good books, so I, I took it. And what is in there is 50 testimonies of Roman Catholic priests 
who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I went, whoa, that's interesting. Fifty priests came to faith in Jesus Christ. I knew of a few, but I thought, wow, that's a lot. One story is about the priest who was reading during Mass Hebrews 10. So why don't you turn there with me? During Mass, he's reading Hebrews 10. Uh, I'm, I was surprised that he even read Hebrews 10 because usually it's not very deep when you are Mass. By the way, I was an altar boy, you know, and I grew up in that. Um, but I, it, it, when they read the things, it was always in Latin when I was there. But somehow they made it into English now. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 10. And he's reading it aloud, remember that, before the congregation. But this will, we have been sanctified by this, I'm sorry, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Next verse, see every priest, because notice it says priest there, stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down <clears throat> at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14. For by one offering, he has been perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The man is reading that during Mass, and he starts going, we don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> we don't have to keep sacrificing Jesus. It's been taken care of. I mean, he's going out, I mean, he doesn't stop. The other priests in the rectory came down, and they had to take him away. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what they had to do. Jesus Christ has taken care of it for you, folks. Is he yours? Is what matters. Is he yours? Are you following him for the rest of your days? That's what matters. He was, listen, we'll go back to the revelation. What was he doing? He who has an ear. He was speaking the words, but now his ear was actually hearing it. Taking it in. Understanding it. And going, it's him. He burst out in the middle of the mass and he's going and rejoicing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we don't have to keep sacrificing him. And that's what they do at the Roman Catholic Church. The question is, are your ears hearing the life-giving word of Jesus Christ? That's the question for all of us, folks. Are your ears hearing the life-giving word of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you faithfully and diligently living out your Christian life? Certainly, we do not want to be like the uh, um, Sardians who slept while well, they were overrun by an army. You don't want to sleep and be overrun when Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Make sure that you know him, that you're following him, 
that you love him, that you adore him, that you're his all in all. And I say that, folks, because I know the time is coming. It's getting closer and closer. I got only two more cities to go. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, Lord, in saving anyone. That, Lord, even in these situations, Lord God, that we're against you as a Roman Catholic priest may be, that we can hear and you save us. That you do that on a regular basis, Lord God. Thank you for how your word is understandable. How your word through the work of the Holy Spirit is being taught to us, Lord God. Giving us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord God, I pray that you do come quickly. I pray, Lord God, that today as we go to communion together as a church, that we would examine our own heart, make sure that we are right with you before we even receive that communion. We pray this in your name. Amen.